Welcome back to the Salsa Soul Food Podcast. It's been so long. It's been like two weeks. Yes, we're hoping you're liking the episodes that we're pushing out there. We're dishing them out. Dishing them out. Gobble them up. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) On... The Salsa Soul Food social media account, Instagram is what I meant to say, we asked, what are some of your personal or health goals for the fall months? Yep. So we just wanted to share a few. This is our accountability group. Yes. And we're going to build it up. So we're going to get, we're going to send some more things out there into the stories. So you have to keep, keep an eye out for those. Basically, if we read yours, let us know how you did. Yes. So one of our, my friends, Denise, she said I could use her name. (laughs) Uh, She was on the health anxiety episode. So if you listen to that, then you know her. She wants to get her permit, which is a great goal to have because, I mean, we're living in a pandemic and we can't really fly. So I also do think it's a little scary. So I do love this goal because. Yes, it is. You know, we're all the same age. But it feels, okay, so I, 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 I'm, I'm thinking of learning to drive like when I snowboarded for the first time and I was a teenager and I saw these little four, five, six-year-olds on mm-hmm. skis just whipping tits down the mountain. <laughs> yeah. Just like with no fear whatsoever because they're yeah. so, they were small and they, I don't think they had fear in them yet. Yes. But, but now learning to drive as an elderly as Denise Fonseca is. <laughs> yes. I would be worried yes, because she's not a five-year-old skier anymore. No, I understand. And so she and I actually have this goal together because I also am a 30-year-old woman who has never driven. I've always lived close to public transportation Mm -hmm. and slash my father has driven me to many locations. Thank you, Frankie. (laughs) Thanks, Frankie. And um, I made an appointment with the DMV or RMV. I always say both. And then I was like, oh, I need more time to study. So I canceled it, which was bad news because now I'm not going to get another appointment for the next year, probably because of COVID. But mm-hmm. that was my mistake. So anyways, that's Denise's. Hopefully Denise will do better than you. Yeah, I think she's having the same issue. But Denise, we are going to hold you accountable. We're here for you. We support you. And then a couple other ones we have here. Somebody said to be more active physically and mentally reading crosswords or reading not reading crosswords but reading and crosswords etc like mine <laughs> they just read blank blocks <laughs> in a crossword puzzle <laughs> yeah like a sudoku maybe something like that um which is great especially during the time we're living through mm-hmm. keep that mind healthy yes we can't forget about the mind and then someone else said use the remaining good weather to trim off some of this quarantine weight get out there get your sweat on Got the quarantine 15. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Do what you got to do. Eat what you got to eat mm-hmm. to get those pounds away. If that's your goal, that's great. So we support you, everyone. Heck yeah. So good. Good. Thank you for giving us your goals. I got one more. Yes. That I forgot to tell you beforehand. Uh, I started learning piano. Oh, nice. That's yes. my goal. I'm going to learn piano during during quarantine. Oh, you have so many good goals. That's great. Thanks. I had this little, actually, it's right behind you. I have this little MIDI keyboard that's about two octaves, and that's how I made some of the beats for um, the episodes. But it's so tiny, and, you know, I I can fake it on this little tiny thing. Like, I can pretend it's a bass, or I can do a drum drum kit Mm -hmm. on it. But now I have, like, a a 61-key keyboard that I can actually really play, like, as if it's a piano. Mm -hmm. So um i'll let you know how that goes yeah maybe you can uh write a song with the piano and then we'll have it on the podcast how many too. do you want i write you songs all. <laughs> i know mark writes an, a song for every episode which brings me to my next point i definitely want to call out um beautiful headquarters oh yes we have been using his music as the intro originally it was just going to be like a one-time thing but i love his music so mm-hmm. much yes. and um I just think it fits really well. So everyone, please go check out Beautiful Headquarters on Spotify, Bandcamp. Um, it's the the mind baby of Adam Amoroso. <laughs> the mind child? The child baby? The wh- brain how- child. The child, yeah. The, he's got a child-sized brain, and he <laughs> writes amazing music. So I love him for it. So I just wanted to call that out because um, it's been in the credits, but we haven't actually like said anything. Yeah, we'll put it. We can link it in the description. To oh, his I, music. I, I always do. Oh, shoot. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, I'm not reading all the descriptions. 
I got one more thing to bring up before okay. before we start talking about the episode because it's gonna be a great episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I I I, I kind of actually want to make a recommendation for people because I, I know it's been really hard to get like gym equipment during quarantine mm-hmm. because you can't like find anything. I just want to call out decathlon because oh decathlon bringing me back to my child which which actually good point because that's that's actually something i want to bring up so decathlon has like weights in their stock and i I got it Mm. in like a week so if if anyone's looking check it out i'm like i don't know that's just something but brings me to my point like when i was a 12 year old 13 year old my dad got me a set of weights when i was this chubby little prepubescent boy and i would blast eminem and I would just start. Oh God. I would just start looking in the mirror and do maybe like three reps and say that was good for the month, yeah. and then be done with it and be like, "Why aren't I getting huge?" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I and he bought me. Um, so the weight plates are called Domios, I think D O M Y O S. I don't really know how to pronounce it, but apparently that's a brand of decathlon. So my dad instilled this brand loyalty as a child with these weights. Because now that's what I'm I'm using oh I'm using now. So which brings me to my point. What is something that your parents bought you as a child that instilled like brand loyalty? Like now it's your brand. It doesn't have to be anything athletic. It could just be what did your parents do that do to you? That is a good question. And I know that my parents have probably influenced me in so many ways. Maybe be like to- hand soap, like, you know? <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think. Okay. Ooh, I don't know. My dad uses Tetley tea. That's really boring, but that's only recently that I've started using that. Like he just uses that tea, mm-hmm. but that's only because like I can't think of anything else. Okay. But I'm going to think about that and we can bring it. Okay. Get back. Because that was like now. a, like a weak answer, but I like that. Yeah. It's just, I just find it funny that early in your life, that one brand just stays with you and yeah. you, you don't even make the and decision. And you're like, it's, it's the so best. Much. You're like, hands down, this is the best. And but it's because of that. Yeah, they're not that great. But yeah, hey, they came through in a pinch because quarantine was bad and I just got an extra set of weights. So thank you to Cathalon for sponsoring this episode. Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, we want some of that Decathlon money. <laughs> All right, talk about this episode a little bit. So in this episode, we interviewed Christine Job. And she is a business strategist and she has an amazing podcast. I was actually listening, listening to it when I was walking to Mark's today and it's called a flourish in the foreign. And it's a podcast that elevates and amplifies the voices of black women who live and travel abroad and just their various experiences. And she was just a great person to talk to just has such a varied background and it was just fun to talk about with her um yeah when she originally talked to us she's more used to doing the interviewing like she's yeah. she's always on like the other side she's kind of like the us of her podcast but it was really good to get a chance to actually hear her uh, uh be able to like have as much time as she wanted and do a long form interview so yeah that's cool. true and i love her format you guys should check it out again we're going to link everything in the description and her podcast is just very calming and educational and inspiring Uh, So it's really cool to just hear how everyone has a different take on podcasting and you can really get creative with, you know, each season and episode. So we love we love you, Christine, and we loved talking to you. Whoa, that (laughs) escalated. Wow. (laughs) No, but we love your podcast and we're excited to share some of your story with our listeners. Here it comes. It's coming at you. So today on the show, we have a fabulous guest, Christine Job. She is a business strategist and entrepreneur and the host and producer of the Flourish in the Foreign podcast, where she highlights uh, Black women living and traveling abroad. It's one of my favorites. She also is a wellness enthusiast and has produced a wellness, music, and spiritual festival called Seeker Fest. So thank you so much, Christine, for joining us today. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) Yeah, we're excited. Uh, So first, I just want to start off by asking, like, when you started traveling, at what age? And when did you realize that travel would be a really big part of your life and eventually lead you to live abroad? Um, So I started traveling um, as as um, an accompanied minor 
when I was about three or four years old. So I was traveling domestically quite young. Um, and I, I mean, for the majority of my life, I've always traveled solo for some reason. Um, it's just easier for my parents and my grandparents to put me on a plane and like ship me off to somewhere else. Um, my dad uh, is or was in the Air Force. Um, my parents are divorced, but my dad was in the Air Force and he got stationed in Germany. So when I was 10, I actually was um, going international solo. So as an unaccompanied minor, and that was uh, fun and, and interesting. Um, so I think honestly, because of my family history, my dad and his parents are from Trinidad. They immigrated in the, I guess, oh, would that be early 80s, maybe? <laughs> um, I'm just, I'm, I'm quite used to travel. It's not a big thing. I never learned the fear of traveling as well. I never had a family that was like, oh, well, what'll happen to you? Or it's different. I just never had that. Um, and because I was traveling internationally so young, um, I, I think the seeds of living abroad were just planted there. For my 13th birthday, my dad took me to um, Paris, and that was cool, and it just, and my birthday is New Year's. It was actually like Y2K, 2000, so for like all the young kids, they're like, what is that? That's when I was born, and like, yeah, I know, but I was turning 13, um, and like, I remember all the kids I went to school with were like, what? Like, they just couldn't understand going to Paris, going to Paris for your, your birthday, going to Paris for New Year's. And my family isn't well to do. It was just my birthday. It was a, you know, a big birthday. My dad, you know, was living in Germany and he wanted to do that for me. And so I went. So I think honestly, it was just because it was a part of my life and it was just normal. And again, like I said, I I was never taught the fear of of travel or being in different places. That really set me up to live abroad for sure. Yeah, that's super interesting. I like that point of how you were never taught that fear because I think so many of us, like so many of our families, you often hear stories of people saying like, oh, well, what will happen to you? Or, you know, that something that as if the United States is, is much safer than anywhere else which we all know is not true so that's a really good point that you that you brought up uh, i also wanted to ask so what ended up leading you to to spain specifically because so christine does live in in barcelona correct yes yes i do so yeah what um, led you to spain so oh my goodness what led me to spain well you know i i started learning spanish when I was like five years old, um, like through elementary school. And for my high school graduation present, my parents sent me to Spain on like a two week educational tour, which sounds like really like, oh, you got sent to Spain, but it really was like an educational tour. Like it was, it wasn't, it wasn't like super crazy. You know, we didn't go to Ibiza or anything like that. It was very educational. Um, so I did that. I studied abroad while I was in university, and I studied abroad at the Universitat de Valencia. Um, so that was a really interesting experience for me. Um, it wasn't uh, the study abroad experience I wanted, but it was really um, eye-opening, and I, I basically enjoyed my time there. I I had just, I traveled a lot to Spain. My mom actually traveled to Spain when I was like, 10 or 11. Um, again, kind of going back to like my parents traveled, so it wasn't anything I was ever afraid of. Like she would go off with her friends and send me a postcard and be like, yep, we're in Marbella or we're in Mexico or we're whatever. Um, so there was no fear to go to Spain. In 2014, I walked to Camino de Santiago after uh, like a big disappointment, a big like life let down. And it really changed my life. I, I was not 
outdoorsy at all, I would say. I always tell people like at that time of my life, I was I was outdoorsy in the sense that I liked, you know, brunching on terraces and, you know, picnics where I could see my car. Like I wasn't I wasn't really outdoorsy. But um the Camino kind of called to me randomly on a on a hike and I use that term very loosely. It was like a paved it was a paved like <laughs> trail. <laughs> um it it called to me and I I answered that call. And I walked across Spain for about 33 days. And after that, I was like, oh, I think I could live here. I really had a good experience in the country. Um, So then in 2016, I really focused on trying to move abroad. I was looking at the Netherlands. But it just so happened that moving to Spain was quite easy. Um, if if I decided to become a language assistant, which is kind of like an English teacher. And I had been resisting it because I'd known about the program for a while because I'm not a teacher and I hadn't dealt with children at all in my life. So I was resisting it. But I kind of just was like, let's just do it and see how it how it goes. And so in 2017, I moved to Spain. I moved to La Rioja in the northern part of Spain. It borders the Basque region. And I taught um, English in two um, small primary schools. So I had three-year-olds to 12-year-olds, which was (laughs) eye-opening, shocking to say the least. uh, and I think I shocked them as well because they were like, wait, you say you're from United States, but you're black. How does that work? How does that work? <laughs> so um, it was cool. I got to, you know, showcase a different part of the United States that just isn't in the media. Like black Americans aren't showcased in the media. Um, black Americans who speak, I guess, perfect English and who you know, were lawyers in another life and entrepreneurs. They were just mind blown by me. And that was uh, cool to <laughs> to blow little kids' minds because they're kind of like a tough crowd. <laughs> they're, they're like, they'll give it to you straight. Um, so yeah, I had a great experience there. Um, and I, I taught another school that was... Um, quote unquote, like the immigrant school of the city, which I didn't really like, um, because like, what does that mean? A lot of these kids were second, maybe first generation Spanish, but you know, they were fluent in Spanish, you know, their heritage, um, their roots were from maybe Pakistan or Bangladesh, Mali, Morocco, maybe Senegal. um, And they had never had a black teacher or a teacher of color at all. So there's that. And that was cool to affirm them in that kind of way because, you know, a lot of these kids are just told that they're like they're not Spanish. They're other, period. You know, in a way that's actually way harsher than even in the United States, I think. In the United States, I think we have a concept of like, okay, you're born here. Okay, you speak with an American accent. Okay. But in Spain it's not. They're like, you're not white, you're not Spanish. For a lot of people, um, which is crazy because um, Spain has had many colonies around the world. And people have moved to Spain over generations. You know, having black or even Chinese Spanish is not unusual. There's many generations, but they're not included in the envelope of Spain. And so to affirm these kids was was really cool for me. Um, so that was my experience in La Rioja. Um, I knew I didn't want to stay in La Rioja because it's a great place to drink wine. It's amazing, super cheap. Once you live there, you won't pay, you will not pay like American prices for wine, never. You never will do that. You'll just be like, I refuse. This is ridiculous, this is extortion. Um, But it's quite boring. I mean, it's a great place to have like kids, but you know, I I don't have any. So I, uh, I moved to Barcelona to just continue living and to work remotely. Awesome. Oh, I love all those little tidbits that you just gave us. And so it's cool to hear how it seemed like through your parents' travels and the study abroad, Spain was a bit of a familiar, and not that you knew the whole country, obviously, but it seemed a bit familiar to you. 
what do you think once you moved there and you mentioned a little bit about like being a black woman and being a teacher and that experience but what else do you think what was the hardest adjustment to make from shifting from the United States um, and then full-time in Spain? Yeah, so, I mean, obviously language, because even though I had been studying Spanish, I minored in Spanish in in college. It's just nothing like being fully immersed and being like, wait, what? What's happening? <laughs> you know, trying to open up a bank account and you're like, I don't know any of these words and I feel like they're important and I should know them, but I don't. Um, that was tough. Um, I think also Spanish Mediterranean culture is really different than American culture. Um, to say it's relaxed is just an understatement. They really, you know, they work so they can live. So it's very like bare minimal. <laughs> It's like the bare minimum and like that's it. They have, you know, they have a nice, you know, social security, you know, net for the country. So if you don't work, um, obviously, if you have papers and you're a, a quote unquote legal resident, this is what you would get. It's a little bit different if you're not. Um, but if you, I mean, if you don't work, you won't starve here in Spain for the most part. Um, it's not like the United States where you could be highly educated or highly skilled and working all the time and still not making it and still being like on the brink, like, and, and having that kind of desperation or having that kind of anxiety that's built in. It's just not like that in Spain. And so that was hard to adjust to because how do you turn off from, I have to grind all the time when people are looking at you like, are you okay? You want to relax? Like, it's okay. Like, we'll do it tomorrow. And you're like, no, has we done today? And they're like, well, it's not going to be. So you want to relax? You know, how do you turn off from, you know, having, you know, either having health insurance or not having health insurance, having, you know, very kind of bare minimum health insurance, paying out of pocket, exorbitant amount of money, to going to a place where you have access to the um, national healthcare system, but the program that I was in actually provided private health insurance that was incredibly amazing. And I would actually talk to um, other Americans that were in the program um, with me, and we would be like, it's strange because in the States, if I'm sick, like I try to like self, you know, you self-medicate, you try to do all the things, but you still work. In in Spain, people are like, just go to the doctor. Just just go. Like, why aren't you going to the doctor? You're like, well, I just have a cough. Like, you should go to the doctor. You should take something. And it's it's a weird feeling to to switch over to having that access and it to be affordable and for it to be readily available. Um, I think that is that was quite uh, a hard transition. And that sounds weird, right? Like, oh, you have this benefit. You don't know how to take advantage of it. But it, it was kind of strange, though. It was like, you know, going to school and being like, well, I'm not feeling well. And the teacher's being like, well, you should go home. And you're like, no, it's okay. Like, no, you should go home. Yeah, bye. And people wanting you to be well and not work yourself in the ground and not pushing through it. I think... Um, that was really hard to adjust to. <laughs> I don't know if that's like, I'm sure there's some kind of like psychological um, term for this, like Stockholm syndrome, where you're just like, wait, this is not how it's supposed to be. But it's kind of like that. Um, yeah, trying to relax into this kind of culture. I mean, that's like the good part, but also, you know, the Spanish they don't have that get up and go, which is is hard to when you have things to do. So yeah, I guess that's just cultural. That's hard to adjust to. And I don't know if I'll ever adjust to it. So yeah, no, that's super interesting to hear about the healthcare system. And yeah, because in the United States, we're always like, you know, you got to make it through the day, you got to work and shifting that mentality. It's like you want to embrace it, but it also must be hard at the same time. Uh, we're so used to like advocating for ourselves when it comes to health, when in reality we shouldn't have to. And I feel like that's what you kind of experienced in Spain with having all the access that you, you know, that we should have. So, yeah, 
that's necessary. Uh, and I wanted to shift a little bit. I know you just uh, mentioned previously about being a teacher, you know, that was your first time and you, it sounds like you had really interesting experiences. Uh, what are you doing now? Because I know you're a business strategist and I believe you also studied law and are an attorney and then you're, you're working remotely. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about how your work life looks now. Oh my goodness, my work life is crazy because I still work like I'm a crazy American. Like I work all the time and it's, <laughs> it's a problem. So I'm a business strategist. I've done business strategy since I was in law school, actually. In law school, I studied um, business law and I also studied intellectual property. And in my last, or no, I think it was my second year of law school, I became a legal fellow for um, my university's incubator program. So it's an incubator for entrepreneurs, aspiring entrepreneurs, even you know family-owned businesses. And so that was my first taste of consulting and business strategy, and I honestly fell in love with it. Um, not to get like all woo-woo, but it's like it really was um, a life-affirming moment for me. I really enjoyed holding space for people to voice their deepest desires and dreams. I really enjoyed holding space for people to create something out of nothing and to even play with that thought of it being a possibility. Um, you know, a lot of the, a lot of my, you know, quote unquote clients at that time were, you know, 19 year old students. This is the first time they'd had like a thought, um, had a huge, like a project they wanted to undertake that had nothing to do with their parents, right? They had nothing to do with anyone else's thoughts of them. They had come up with something, they had seen a problem, they had found a solution and now they wanted to create a business or develop a prototype. And so that's where I started. And that has always been my, just my jam. I really, I've done a lot of different things, but that has always been my jam. So I did that. Um, I did that when I graduated from law school. I joined a, a startup in downtown Miami and I did that. I also went on trade mission with them to implement something similar, an, e an entrepreneurial ecosystem in um, Namibia and South Africa. And then I went back to Atlanta and I started my own business. And um, I'd gone back to Atlanta because I had a death in my family. And so I was trying to deal with the grief of that by kind of just throwing myself into all the things, all the wellness practices I knew. And um, through those, through those, uh, through, through the practicing of all these different modalities, I would end up speaking to the instructors or the owners and just automatically like consulting them. <laughs> Be like, you know what you should do? <laughs> you know what I noticed? Um, and then they were like, we should pay you for this because we would like to continue this conversation. And so I started uh, my business that way. But, you know, it was a grind in Atlanta trying to make it happen. And that's part of the reason why I ended up going um, to Northern Spain to teach English. I just needed, I needed a break. And I, or I, at first I thought it was gonna be like a sabbatical, like, okay, but when I got to Spain, I knew, no, I don't wanna go back to Atlanta. I want to go back into my career field because I love it. I just didn't know how to make it happen. So after I had uh, finished teaching in La Rioja, I come to Barcelona and moved here. And through networking in La Rioja, I'd actually landed a gig doing business writing. And then through doing that, it kind of evolved into doing business strategy for a web development firm, a boutique web development firm in DC. And so that kind of got me back on track. But then I realized, you know, um, I want to work for myself. Like, I really like it. <laughs> I, I really prefer it. You know, working for yourself is not glamorous. You're working a lot. Um, try to automate as much as possible, but you're working a lot, especially when you're trying to start up something or restart something, pivot something. It's a lot of work. But I knew that's what I wanted to do. And so, um, yeah, I transitioned out of working remotely. And now 
I have started working for myself again. And oddly enough, the pandemic has been um, somewhat good for business. And I'm like, cool, that's that's amazing. Um, but yeah, just through kind of networking, putting myself out there, I've been able to create these um, opportunities for myself. And now I have another cool opportunity. I can't really get into it too much, but actually it's gonna be based here in Barcelona. And I'm just like, this is, so cool and so awesome, you know, being able to do the things that you love, but having a lifestyle that is conducive to thriving, you know, so to be able to do the things that you love professionally and be fulfilled that way and to be curious and to be challenged that way, but also to have a life as well is nice <laughs> and to have, you know, and have an environment that um, encourages that. Like there's this literal peer pressure to be like, you should go home. Like you should go to the beach. You should take like a two hour lunch. Like there's peer pressure to enjoy life here. And I think that is, <laughs> I guess what I needed in, in an odd way. I like love everyone that. needs that. Like, <laughs> like it sounds like you're given the best pitch to, to move to Barcelona. Why, why, sh why shouldn't we all do that? You know? <laughs> well okay so i'll say this you know it's an old old city the water quality is kind of horrible um meaning it's so um i guess it's this high mineral content that it messes up your um pipes it's not unusual for the pipes in the street or even in your bathroom to be so uh calcified that they have to get repaired like every year or you have to you know use a special solution everyone buys you know bottled water which is obviously not good for the environment or have to get a water service like that's not great um politically here it's a little unstable they're still, I don't know if you guys know, like the, the Catalans, which are the people of Catalonia, um, there's a, a sizable section of the population that wants to be an independent country from Spain. That has caused issues, you know, with living here. You're like, wait, I don't, I just want to like enjoy the beach, enjoy my life. I don't want to be like in the midst of some political upheaval. Um, and and that's what it is you know the spanish government has kind of come down hard some people think there is like political prisoners it's like messy you know there's 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 stuff here for sure um as there is everywhere i guess in the world but in general i suppose from an american standpoint where i guess i could disconnect and be like well that's y'all's problem. I'm I don't because I'm I'm fairly plugged into like my local scene no matter where I live. But you could you could do that and just be like I'm gonna just go to the beach and live my life. Um so yeah. Yeah, no, I I was actually going to ask that same question mark, so I'm, I'm glad you you asked that. And I love that like basically you're curating and creating your own life and I think I think that's great. And also, I like the fact that you have such a diverse background where you're, you know, you studied law, um, you're a business strategist, but you really have like wellness at the root of everything. And I think that's important because I think we're so used to, to thinking of business and like, go, 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 kind of like you're not taking care of yourself. If you're in that field, that's like me as like an out, kind of an outsider. Um, and so I like that you kind of are twisting this and it's like, no, business and wellness are connected. For sure, for sure. Because I mean, I think what we know, especially in, in the United States, is definitely, I mean, it is hyper capitalism that says you have to, it, it says and it glorifies like um, basically the, the detriment and the just degradation of all things in the pursuit of the almighty dollar. And that is, it's, it's so wrong <laughs> on so many levels. Like not even like morally it's wrong, but it's actually more, it's just, it's it's not how I think um, trade and commerce and the exchange of services 
work, really. When we think about even like in ancient times, that's not what people were doing. <laughs> it was just not, it's not how it works. Um, I believe that you can be working in and on your purpose and sustain yourself, full stop. It just is what it is. It's like, of course you can. I think where people get, um, I think where people get confused and they kind of self-sabotage is when they think they have to put on a persona that's not them to sell something. Like, okay, I make candles, but I have to become this person who's all about, you know, working all the time and da da da. Like, that's not true. It just isn't. I mean, of course, there is, like I tell my clients, there's discomfort in entrepreneurship, there's discomfort in starting a business because you're doing things that you haven't done before. Perhaps you're acquiring skills that you you don't have, or perhaps you're having to think in ways that you just haven't had to think. You have to invest in things that you've never even thought about. Like that's uncomfortable. Maybe you 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 don't quite believe in yourself. Okay, that's uncomfortable, but it should never be like, it shouldn't feel so unlike yourself because if we get down to the essence is that you are exchanging part of your life in a service or product for money. Um, Money is cool because in this system, it makes everything kind of go around. But why would you have to give up everything that you are in the pursuit of it? Doesn't make any sense. And I think that for sustainability, it just doesn't work. I think you've seen several, you know, you've seen several examples of people who are talented and not talented, um, make a dollar. So it's like, why would you think it has to be quote unquote so hard? Um, it doesn't. And I think that is something that I like to talk to you and I try to explain to you, my clients. It's just, it's just a different way of thinking. There are business principles. Okay, sure. But are they the gospel? No, because I mean, pet rock was a thing. Like, I'm pretty sure that no one, you know, did a focus group on a pet rock and was like, yep, I'm going to, yeah, if you had a pet rock, I would buy that from you. Like, no one did that. Okay. So there's, there's business principles that are helpful, um, that give you information, but you know, you're creating something, you're manifesting something. It's different because it's you, right? Everyone can be a hairstylist or whatever it could be, but your experiences, your purpose, your vision for it, how you do what you do is very unique. And if people really leaned into that and were very authentic to that, I think they would find business to be a lot more pleasurable, you know, if that's what they were looking for. So, I mean, my my background is I have a business degree. I have a law degree. I'm obviously into wellness and all things, I don't know, ethereal. And I think it works together. I don't think it has to be mutually exclusive at all. Um, I think it, it like there's principles for a reason, right? They're basically based off case studies. Like this is what, what has worked in the past. But honestly, when you're creating something if it works, it works. But I think that people have to lean into whatever is authentic to themselves. Not everyone wants to be a six-figure entrepreneur, and that's fine. Like you have to know what your why is and what you want to, what you want to achieve, and how you really want to be of service. I think when people move from that space, their business gains so much more clarity. It resonates really quickly with their right people. And they find it to be just a more pleasurable experience because you're being true to yourself. Yeah, I love that. And I like also how it also allows you space to kind of return and reflect and then shift if you are going to make a transition or your vision has changed, right? Because we change as people. Uh, Versus if you're in a job, you might not have that ability to be like, okay, now my vision is this, you know? I agree. I mean, it's, it's, for me, I've used my life kind of like uh, a big experiment in entrepreneurship and intentional cultivation. 
it's not quote unquote easy. And I think it's the only reason why it's not easy is because we're still human. Like I'm still a human being. I still compare myself against my peers and what they were doing and where I should be and the societal timeline of like what I should be doing. And I'm from the South. So like that means I should have been married at like 22. And then like, oh, okay, you went to law school. So you should be married by like 26, 27, and then having children. Um, and and that's difficult to feel, you know, somewhat less than or just like you're not, you know, doing what you need to be doing, uh, especially if people don't get your vision. But I think that that's kind of the risk you have to take when you're cultivating your own life. You you get to plant the seeds. You get to be very specific about the seeds that you're planting. You're the one that is really tilling the soil. You know, a lot of people are commenting on you tilling the soil, but they're not tilling the soil with you. So it's like, okay. And, you know, and it seems, and it may seem that other people are being able to harvest sooner than you. And that sucks when you're just like, I guess I'm not really working that hard. And I guess I'm doing everything wrong. But I think that's just part of it when you are really intentionally creating a life that you want. Um, I tell people specifically about living abroad, specifically about black women, I guess, especially about deciding to move abroad. Moving abroad is an act of wellness in my point of view. It's an act of wellness because it forces you to be wide awake to all of the decisions that you may have in the past just slept walk through, right? Like you were just a zombie because it just is what it is. I think particularly for black women, and I'll say even more specifically for black American women, there are just stereotypes and like expectations on who we should be and what we can do and fears placed on us. And it's just like, you know, I've had a lot of people be like, but Christine, like, what are you doing? Just what are you doing? And like, aren't you afraid? And like, aren't you? And I'm like, no. And that really upsets people. (laughs) I don't know why. Uh, It really upsets people that I won't conform to what they think I should be doing. And I think that moving abroad really allows Black American women, I'll say, to be able to be wide awake to their life and to make decisions for themselves that they didn't even know were really open and available to them. Because as an American society, as a Black American society, depending on which region of America you are from, they're just expectations. And there's definitely this culture of like what we do and what we don't do. And depending on, you know, how you were raised, you may be quite limited and may not even know you're limited. And the beauty of living abroad is that you get to see that there's many different ways to live life. They are truly infinite uh, ways to have breakfast, <laughs> like time of day and what you eat and how you eat it and who you eat it with. And all these things, all these things seem strange or like, you know, silly, but actually it's these small decisions that I think help us to gain the courage to make the big decisions, to be very um, confident in that and be very sure in that cultivation So for me, you know, I say all of that to say is just like intentional living is is paramount. And for me, that's what living abroad has given me. It hasn't been easy, but I haven't been bored. (laughs) I haven't been bored. Not a day. Um, There is always something that I'm learning and there's always something that I am consciously choosing and I get to choose again and again. So, yeah. Yeah, I love all those those points that you make, especially like directing it to, you know, to Black women in your experience. And it's like stepping into your power and just knowing, you know, what's out there and what's available. And I remember for myself, for first traveling abroad, there's like a lot of fear. For me, there was a lot of fear, uh, d- different from your, um, your like journey. But uh, I love that idea of like just conquering those fears and seeing what different tasks or different things that would be normal in your your country or your state or city and when you go out there it's just it's very different like you say like doing a mundane task is just can be completely different and even challenging so i love that and and i want to kind of so shifting back a little bit to 
to the wellness part of it, I, I really love the, your connection with it and travel, how travel is sort of a form of self-care. Now, well, you have been working remotely, and I know a lot of people have shifted now due to COVID to working remotely. What would you say are some of your go-to wellness tips or kind of self-care that you would use throughout the day to kind of keep you level-headed? So I am a believer in starting your day, putting yourself first. I have done this for years. When I lived in Atlanta, I used to get up at 4 a.m. to go to the gym at 5 and just work out, but also like meditate and to script and to make my smoothie and to visualize or just to like do whatever I wanted to do before 8 a.m. Like that is for me and my personality. <laughs> I I wake up slow. So I like to wake up early only because I like to wake up slow. Meaning I don't want to talk to anyone when I first wake up. It's not a coffee thing. I'm not really, I'm not a coffee drinker. It's just like, I need hours to like warm up to, to, to talking to people, to, <laughs> to like actually interacting. Um, I don't know. I, I'm supposed, maybe that's part of like my introverted nature. Like I need, I need to like warm up to this whole like interacting thing. So I always start my day with exercise by myself now, currently, it's been mostly um, walking, taking long, long walks because I'm not really going back to the gym anytime soon. Um, and then scripting, visualizing. Visualizing is really empower and is really important and really powerful for me. I mean, that's how I ended up in Barcelona. That's a whole different conversation, though. But like that was straight up visualization. That's just what happened. Um, I think that's really important. And I I have a prayer practice and an altar and things like that. So in the morning, for me, that is the thing to do. And I suggest everyone do it, even if you're not a morning person, because you feel very accomplished, even though you may not have, quote unquote, done anything. I don't know. That's on your to-do list. But it's something, I think it's just powerful to be like, I just took care of myself. I did that. Now I will, whatever you need, okay. But I took care of myself first. I took care of not only like my physical health, but my mental health. And I also tended to like my dreams and the things that I'm working towards. I already have that like in the bag because that's important to me and I'm taking care of myself in all ways. Um, so I do that. I also try to throughout the day, take some time to rest now that's a little bit harder for me because I'm a straight up Capricorn. So I will just work and just work and work some more. Um, and I will schedule myself to be back to back to back to back throughout the day just to get it done. And that just doesn't work. It really doesn't. So I have to literally schedule time to eat and to just rest and go for a walk. And I think that might be really helpful for people who are new to working from home because unfortunately um some people may think that you working from home just means that you're like are available all the time because you're at home and no you're not it's so important to create boundaries it's so important to be like sorry for you but my next availability is this day you know <laughs> i've had to do it you know to a couple of people who, you know, missed an appointment or they're like, oh, so sorry. Can we do it tomorrow? No, you can go back into my calendar. And that's my next availability is in August and I'm not moving it. I'm just not like you have to create that kind of boundaries for yourself. And I, I would also say it's really important um, to be mindful of what you're eating for sure. I think that, I mean, I... I have been plant-based vegan for probably 10 years. And that does not mean that you're healthy. <laughs> I know some people like to, well, to be like, oh, you're vegan, so you're healthy. Like, no, it just means I don't eat any animal products. <laughs> That's all that means. I mean, I went on a, you know, a lemon, what was it? A lemon and rosemary shortbread cookie bender, like for a couple of weeks. I, it was ridiculous. I would make it. And all it is is like flour, vegan butter, sugar, 
and it's like rosemary. And I was like, oh, it has, you know, fresh rosemary. That, that bounces all the other stuff. It does not. Um, you know, you have to be really mindful about, you know, what you're eating and maybe why you're having those kind of cravings. Especially in a time like this, we're really trying to self-soothe. So trying to, dis- you know, trying to discern, do you really want a cookie? Because you want a cookie, which is fine, wanting a cookie. Are you really trying to use that cookie to self-soothe? And if that's the case, maybe trying to nourish yourself in a different way, maybe not even with food, maybe with just a different activity and really try to focus on, you know, nourishing foods when it is time to eat and to enjoy that. I think that is really important because being at home, it's just like, and then also having a pandemic, everything just seems like, of course I can eat just straight up cookie dough because it's a pandemic and I need to. And it's like, okay, I'll give you like two weeks of that and then you're going to put down the cookie dough because we got to move on. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I can resonate with that. Being at home, especially I live with people who we all kind of have different like eating choices and it, yeah, it's, it's difficult. And you're right. You want to just be self-soothing constantly. So that is a very good point. And that also brings me to another question that I, that I wanted to ask since you mentioned food. What would you say is your favorite Spanish dish, especially as a vegan for those who are like, oh, I'm vegan, but I don't, I don't know where, if I'll be okay traveling abroad. Um, and what is, so what is your favorite Spanish dish and what is something that you miss from the U.S. food wise? Um, my favorite Spanish dish is something that is prepared in La Rioja because La Rioja has, I mean, obviously it's known for its wine, um, its gastronomy, but also known for its mushrooms. And they have some really tasty mushrooms in La Rioja, like superb, the best mushrooms I've ever had in my life. Um, they have these, um, in um there's a uh, what is it called on a on a street in the city that I used to live in Logroño there's a street called Calle Laurel which is like um a pinchos bar street so it's really cool there's a big pinchos culture where you just like stand at the bar you drink your wine and you have like your pincho which is like a big tapas um and so I would love to get like grilled mushrooms and they're just like grilled with olive oil and garlic and like a little bit of salt but those things, oh my goodness, are so good. They're so good. And you get like a glass of wine. So you get a glass of wine and some pinchos and it's like maybe two euros. And I'm like, I, I'm, I'm ruined for the rest of my life. Like I can't go, I can't drink wine anywhere else. Like I just can't, you know, people were like, oh yes, this glass of wine is like $14. Like, are you joking? Are you crazy? I would never pay that. And the crazy thing about La Rioja is that the wine is just so plentiful. Like when I first moved there, I had known some things about wine, but I didn't really know that much about wine. And you can get like the cheapest bottle in that region and they'll sell it like at a CVS. And you're like, what? CVS wine? And it is so good. You're just like, this is, doesn't make any sense. And I'm now ruined for life. Um... The biggest thing that I I miss from the States is, oh, mm -hmm. so many different things. Because, you know, (laughs) in the United States, we have so much variety and I love it, but also um, it really ruins you, I think, because we'll go down an aisle and we'll have literally like 10 different choices of peanut butter and it just isn't like that i don't think in any other part of the world um maybe italy actually because italy is known for their pasta aisles where you're just like i didn't know like on both sides of the aisles it's like the longest aisle in the supermarket it's like the pasta you're just like i didn't even know i could have these many options it's like that but you know with everything we have so much choice so i think i miss that because, you know, we get these like weird preferences about things, you know, about a certain kind of jam or a tomato sauce with like it has, you know, certain herbs and a certain brand. And you just don't have that. Um, <laughs> you don't have that at all here. And um, there was this uh, vegan restaurant that I really enjoyed, a raw vegan restaurant in Atlanta called Cecilie's Raw Reality. And she makes the best kale wraps in the world now people are like kale gross no this is 
delicious because it's like it's marinated like it's spicy and it's cheesy but it doesn't have cheese and it's like has all this like amazing like couscous and sun-dried tomatoes it's amazing and I miss that because I've tried to replicate it and I failed I mean it was tasty but it wasn't that rap so that's what I miss the most yeah, you have me nostalgic because I'm not vegan, but I love when traveling, I love to check out vegan and uh, like vegetarian or just whatever like kind of health scene cafe there is. Uh, so you have me nostalgic for those places, especially being quarantined or in lockdown. I just had to pull up that menu because you're you're selling <laughs> me on that spicy kale wrap. It is so good. I've, I have told people for years, I've been like, this is a place you got to go if you're in Atlanta. And everyone that goes, and they're not vegan or they're vegan, everyone's like, that wrap changed my life. And I'm like, I know it would. I knew it would. Like, because it's that good. It's so, so tasty. Is it? Because I'm putting that on my list for, like, I always like to know of different locations and where, because I'm, I'm vegetarian. So I just, I usually like to look up vegan places when I'm traveling because it's just easier. It's just like, oh, I know I'm, I'm good here. And uh, do you, is, is there trouble in Barcelona looking for that thing? I know you said you like, can get like the mushroom tapas and stuff, but do they, do they understand being a vegan? Like, oh, don't worry. It just has cheese. Like, don't worry. There's no meat. Like, do you ever run into that at all? Um, not in Barcelona because it's, it's pretty cosmopolitan and they're used to a lot of tourists and they're like, they'll throw a vegetarian symbol on anything and be like, yeah, we just took off everything and there you go. Now there are vegan restaurants here in Barcelona. I have been disappointed by a lot of them, a lot, because I, I mean, I don't think I'm a chef, but I could I could cook some vegan food I can and so when I go to a restaurant I'm looking for something that I cannot make or, or something super duper tasty and I haven't really found anything like that here except I did find a Mexican an authentic Mexican vegan restaurant here that I tried and it is pretty darn good I don't know if it's like craveable but I would go there again I would go there again, but I, there's a lot of options and varieties here, but I, I don't, I mean, it's important that it's vegan and I love the, like the vegan cause, but I'm also like, I need it to be tasty. Cause why? Cause I'm not going to just come just cause you're vegan. I'm sorry. I'm just not, I need it to be tasty. And there's a lot of like, but that's the thing also, like in Spain, there's a saying called sabor sabor, which means basically like too much flavor. And I'm like, I don't come from a culture where that's a thing. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't come from that. So, in different parts of Spain, there's different, there's different tapas, there's different cuisine. So, I can't say it's all of Spain, right? Because you know, in Galicia, they're known for their octopus, and they do all this other stuff. And in southern Spain, they know they're known for like their um, gazpacho and salmorejo and things like this. Um, so I can't say it's like everyone, but like they, they're kind of like, you know, you got to let the ingredients shine through. And I, I agree, but I think that, you know, seasonings are part of ingredients and you should let them shine through as well. So, um, it could be, it could be a little tough sometimes about that because the Spanish are very like, not too much seasoning. And I'm like, this is, you know... Black pepper is not spicy. Okay, guys, like it's not. <laughs> that's so true. Maybe you need to open up a vegan restaurant. I feel like that's something that might be added to your, to your repertoire. Oh my goodness! Yeah, one more thing to your list that will help. I know, but maybe who knows? Who knows? So I wanted to ask you to what? So I know we're obviously all staying home, trying to stay safe and everything right now, but do you have another place that you want, would either want to move to live abroad or, you know, to, to move to, or another city or another country that you really want to get to after Corona? Oh my goodness. Um, I don't know if there's another place I would, I, that I know that I would want to move to now. I'm open to it because I like Barcelona, but I'm not sure if it's like forever and ever. Um, I don't have any plans on returning to the United States. So right now it's cool. 
I really do actually want to go to Portugal. And a lot of people are like, you haven't been to Portugal? And I'm like, no, I haven't. I know it's right there, but I haven't been to Portugal. So I really would like to go to Portugal. Um, I would I would love to go to New Zealand as well. And I was in, um, well, kind of the region. I was in Bali last year and I was thinking about going to New Zealand. And now I'm like, gosh, I should have, I should have made that happen. But um, I would love to go to New Zealand. And I actually just made some friends, some women that are actually going to be in my podcast, who um, one that actually is living in Rwanda and another one who's going to open up a guest house in Rwanda. So I'm really keen to go to Rwanda now. Like, I'm really keen to, like, see what that's about. Um, one of the women, actually, she's, she is part owner of a plant-based restaurant in Rwanda. And, um, and I forget, oh, what is the capital? I can't remember what the capital is. But, um, and apparently it's like the first plant-based restaurant. And she's like, it's not like plant-based veganism is not really a thing. Although in a lot of African cultures, people are mostly vegetarian. Like sometimes you can have some meat, but like they're mostly vegetarian. So it's a new concept, it's very exciting. So those are the places I'm like really keen to get to. Oh, that's very exciting. I'm excited. I'm trying not to like make noises. So I keep like making like faces at everything you're saying. But I'm excited to hear those episodes of the podcast as well. And to hear about their experiences. That sounds really, really great. Uh, also, so now speaking of the podcast, can you just describe a little bit about the podcast and tell people where they can find you with podcasts, like your website, wherever people can find you on social media? Sure. So my podcast is Flourish in the Foreign. It's all about elevating and affirming the voices and the stories of Black women living and thriving abroad. And I created it because I have been living abroad and traveling abroad for a while. And I just haven't seen a lot of Black women um, in the forefront of this like expat, uh, <laughs> of this expat like narrative. And we have been expats for forever. And um, I just wanted to create a platform where black women showcase their stories, where their stories were affirmed, where other black women could like use it as repository of like anecdotes. Um, because for black people, like we can like look up, like, what's it like living in this place? But oftentimes we're like looking for another black person to be like, but how is it really? Like, how is it really living in this place? And so that's what the, the podcast is. It's available across all platforms. Um, you can go to the website at www.flourishintheforeign.com where I have the episodes there. And I also have a really cool interactive map and um, pinned on the map are uh, the podcasts that are associated with the cities and the countries. So I had like my first guest, Nyana. She is pinned in U Utrecht because she lives in Utrecht. So you can click on there. You can open it up and you can see a podcast. So if people are interested in like specific regions or countries, soon it'll be even more full of different places where people can go and explore the podcast that way. That is an awesome way to, to have your episodes laid out. I'm looking at it right now. Thank you. It was it was a struggle getting it together. I'm not even gonna lie. I'm like, <laughs> not like super tech savvy. <laughs> no, it seems like you are. <laughs> I love that. And tell us your like your business strategist website and also your um your Instagram too. Yeah. So Instagram is uh, at Flourish Foreign, at Flourish Foreign across Twitter and Facebook. Um, I'm a business strategist. I primarily work with women-led ventures. Um, I work also primarily in the holistic wellness arena, but mostly just with women-led ventures. I help women to really get their idea from ideation to launch. So we go through like minimal um, vibe or, blah, sorry. <laughs> We go through viability, we go through, you know, the um, minimal viable products plan, we go through revenue projections, things like that, and I help women do that. I typically work with um, my clients on a three-month retainer because it takes about three months to pivot or launch really anything. Um, and I'm a testament to that because it took me about three months to like really launch this podcast. It took, it was, 
it was a stretch. So you could learn more about that from at um, www.christinejobe.com. Just my name.com. Perfect. Thank you so much for being on. I know this was the most interesting interview I've, I've done. I haven't done many, but I really enjoyed listening to everything. And I hope that everyone, I know that everyone will enjoy it and learn a lot from you and also uh, from your podcast as well. Thank you so much. Oh, well, thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. It's been fun. Mm -hmm.